now the pressure now the pressure is like now the pressure is like fully fully on but um with that being said um i am super excited to welcome one and all to a dose of black joy and caffeine now this is season six can you believe it i've interviewed 100 black people <laughs> moment, of, moment of silence for that moment of silence for that and the reason why i say that though and i say plus and it's significant is because i think that so often there are so many different uh preferably companies or agencies that always say you know quote unquote well where are the black people and or they say that black people don't exist in this industry and or that they're not um applying but um i say that not to say that they're all on the show but that um that is a lot of damn people, uh, you know, when you truly do think about it. So on today's show, I'm super excited to have a guest. Our guest today has been very, very clear about that this is very rare that they would do an interview of this nature. So um, I'm privileged and excited to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, when we dive into, I think, your background and also what you're doing today, one of the things that, you know, I think I kind of noticed is that there is a, a a big transition from, I think, the the, the lens of advertising, marketing, um, PR, as a lot of people may know of you. So I would actually love for you to reintroduce yourself to the listeners at home. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Um, Julius done the second, um, not to be confused with my father. Great man, though. Um, I entered the business sometime around 2008. Uh, so I have about 14, 15 years of experience under my belt, all things people. Uh, got my start as an entrepreneur, partnering my nonprofit with the One Club. Um, that partnership lasted for about two years, but we were able to establish some pretty significant initiatives, most of which are still around today. So uh, you have everything from the One Club Creative Boot Camps to the One Club Creative Award, the One Club Ad Color Creative Award, uh, both of which are still running today and have since grown. I think they're probably in their, what, 13th year, maybe. Um, from there, went on to work for the 4As, uh, helping establish the High School for Innovation and Advertising and Media in Canarsie in 2012, uh, which is the first high school of its kind in the country, uh, exclusively dedicated to advertising and media. And then uh, being a part of the founding team uh, in 2014 to establish uh, what is known as the Manhattan Early College School for Advertising, which is also affectionately known as Mecca. Um, went from there and that team, uh, which was, was comprised of people like Singleton Beato, Carl Desir, uh, yeah. Shannon. I mean, these are, you know, I'm pretty sure you know these individuals. They are also legends in this business. Um, and then went on to DDB to be um, the director of talent uh, and did that for about a year, but left uh, essentially to establish what now is the adversity group. And so uh, the adversity group was born out of frustration um, in my pursuit to try and address what I felt was a gap uh, in a lot of the initiatives, programs, um, and even companies that were expressing that they were interested in kind of addressing discrimination. Uh, but it was so systemic in nature, I wanted to provide a systemic solution to it. So uh, to that point, went on to start building what now are a collection of initiatives, programs, uh, and entities 
uh, all underneath the adversity group uh, to help organizations uh, really kind of make diversity rhetoric real. Mm -hmm. And I say really kind of help improve, if you will, their people um, initiatives um, to lead to a more profitable pursuit uh, of what it is that they do and provide for the clients that they serve. So that's me. And I guess uh, since then, I will say that, you know, I've now become more recently uh, a certified wellness practitioner. And that's largely been because I understand the connection between stress and anxiety and uh, the human form, <laughs> the physiological impact of that. Um, yeah. I myself suffered some of those um, blows in my time in the business formally. Um, and so I really wanted to more formally connect wellness to executive coaching to provide holistic support, not only for the clients that we serve, but also for the communities in which we provide equitable access um, to these type of initiatives. So that's me in a nutshell. Hopefully it wasn't too long. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that it was it was spot on to um, the past and the present of where you currently are at. So I appreciate you sharing that journey. You know, one thing that I think some people, some that you have even mentioned, or even some people that have come on this show off talk about a lot is that they got out of advertising. Um, and it's almost it almost sounds like this um scary um approach uh that they're that they're that they're kind of referencing without mentioning something that is is there you know they just say like they got out of it but they don't necessarily mention it what do you think particularly um a lot of professionals um of color um are saying when they say that terminology uh, I think <laughs> So I've seen it in a variety of different ways, but I will say that what ends up happening is, especially if you came through the business from an academic, from an academic context, right? Um, you were given a lot of support. Initially, you were kind of fed a bit of a fantasy of what the experience would be. Um, and dare I say the industry kind of and the academic institutions that are connected to the industry uh, kind of institutionalize you in a way to believe that you should work at ungodly hours and at a pace that is not humanly possible. Um, and all of which to serve an agenda that may not be in alignment with who you are as a person and the direction that you're going. Um, and so I think that when people say they got out, it means to say that they became disenchanted with the application of their skill set and their talent with the industry of which it was being applied. Um, and it's no longer in alignment with where they're going as human beings, as parents, as partners, as companions, as sons, daughters, whatever. Um, I think that that's, that's pr primarily what people end up meaning when they say that. Um, so that's my take on it. Oh, yeah. And I think that it's the makeup of the people that, like you said, are not supporting them internally. Um, so, you know, this podcast, I have amazing industry professionals on such as yourself, but I also have people that would consider themselves allies. That term could be very questionable, right? I think once you sit down and talk to them, they may reconsider that term for themselves. But I think that there are some people that truly don't feel like there's any hope 
for for them when it comes to a new way of thinking, uh, a new approach. And it feels like the organization that you have founded, along with your business partner, you truly do go in there to to help people learn about themselves and also rethink their approach when it comes to not only people management, but more so particularly diversity, equity, and inclusion. What is the first step that someone actually has to take for themselves before they could dive into interacting with you and your company? Ooh, uh, first of all, good question. It's a layered one. Uh, luckily, the layers are only two different layers. Um, and so I would say from an, from an individual standpoint, um, because we also serve organizations um, and institutions. So uh, from an individual standpoint, I would say that um, having a desire to want more than what it is that you've achieved up to this point. Um, we've oftentimes seen, and this is the reason why we leverage neuroscience as a way to be able to start the conversation in any context, be it individual clients or clients on an individual basis, or uh, we're working with organizations on a large scale. Um, we start with the neuroscience piece because we oftentimes see that people have internalized the experience that they've had uh, and the trauma that they've kind of, kind of taken on. Yeah. Uh, and oftentimes it'll kind of create a barrier and an obstacle that they put there themselves. That's not even real. Um, and so one of the things that we go about doing uh, me and my business partner, Shamika Brown, um, of the adversity group managing partner is we start the conversation there because the obstacles that you may be spinning about may not have anything to do with race, religion, gender, or any of the easily identifiable markers of similarity or difference. It may quite literally just be the fact that you've internalized this belief that now you've kind of manifested as your reality. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we really kind of start there as a way to be able to to guide our executive coaching clients uh, in a way that helps them go from just surviving to thriving. Yeah, uh, because it's one thing to be kind of like treading water, but it's another thing to to realize, hey, maybe I need to get up out of this water and go do something else um, or just approach it differently. So I would say that for our individual clients and then for those organizations, we've had the privilege. um of being very mindful, thoughtful, and um, considerate in the ways of which we go about soliciting clients and relationships and partnerships to the point where our whole goal from the beginning has been to minimize our overhead so that we don't have to choose partners or clients out of desperation. Mm -hmm. And only those organizations that are in alignment with who and what it is that we do uh as an organization um and so from that standpoint i would say similar to those on the individual basis the organizations that we look to partner with are really seeking answers beyond just the optics of diversity mm -hmm. um, and so we usually start with um, a two-hour meeting of which we then go through some assessments where we really kind of understand where the pain points are within the organization, how efficient or inefficient their HR teams are, um, other key stakeholders in the organization. And then from there, we use that as a way of which to decide if we wanna work with them or not. Um, because we're not in the business of just providing optics of diversity. We really are about addressing 
where the inequities are and taking you on this journey and roadmap to provide measurable uh, and tangible um, metrics of which to measure success. Yeah, I love that. Beautifully said. And I think that that is um, certainly going to help so many organizations and agencies and or companies, brands that are hopefully listening uh, to the show. So I hope that everyone will tap in. And later on, definitely before we end, um, I want to make sure that we get your contact information. But taking a bit of a step back, I do have listeners, and I know that one thing that's very close to your heart is mentorship, especially with so many of the programs that you help build scale that still actually exist today. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's give let's give Jay my credit here. I'm just saying, you know, put some respect on his name. Um, do you feel for people entering the industry that are entry level, sometimes you you can just almost be quiet, right, to where you don't say anything? Do you feel like it's possible to address bias in the workplace without saying something? No. Period. You want me to expound on that? Yes. And the reason why is because I think that some, you, we say no. I don't know how um, easy that actually is when you do have a lot of entry-level individuals that think that they may face retaliation in some capacity. Um, and or they're trying to find a solution and a way to teach without calling something out. It's almost like, you know, the elephant in the room, as some people mentioned. But you are saying to a lot of juniors and or interns that are listening to this podcast, there's no way to be silent. You have to speak up. Yeah, um, you know, I, I say this to a lot of the organizations that we work with and I usually end majority of our workshops with um, a series of steps for of which to get to this place of really kind of clarity as it relates to addressing some of these pain points within organizations and outside of it. One of those is having the courage to speak up or out against inequities that they may experience or see. Um, and because change doesn't happen in silence. Um, so, I mean, that, that to me just kind of speaks to the point, um, in the sense that no one can really address anything if they're not made aware of it. Um, and in some ways I understand why certain individuals that are attached to certain historically marginalized communities may not want to say something. Um, but at the end of the day, not saying anything doesn't help your situation. And eventually at some point, the cumulative effect of silence won't help those behind you. So, so speak up. So speak up or speak out. Yeah. Or both. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said. I appreciate you sharing that. And so to the listeners that are just kind of getting their feet wet, you have heard it here first. And for the organizations, I think that you have actionable steps that you should take. Um, and the first is contacting uh, Julius on this call. Now, I was actually very much so familiar with uh, the organization, and correct me if I'm wrong, in the early stages of uh, The Only One. Is this an evolution of The Only One? And does that still exist? Um, or is that now still a part of the overall ecosystem of what you have built here? Yeah, so um, so the diversity group, as I was saying earlier, is a collection of programs, partnerships, entities uh, founded by myself, managed by my co-lead, uh, Shamika Brown. And then we have 
um, consultants and partners, depending on which of the entities is being activated. Okay. To that point, um, as a subsidiary of the adversity group, the only one there, which you're referencing, uh, is a part of that group. Uh, and so the only one there exclusively is focused on uh, the internalization, if you will, of feelings of exclusion. And to that point, we address that by providing executive coaching, group coaching, holistic coaching, which now integrates wellness with executive coaching. So um, yeah, the only one there is very much a part of the adversity group um, and is led by Shamika Brown, who's the CEO of that entity. Love it. Now, is um, career coaching also a part of that? And when I say that, meaning um, obtaining the right place for an individual that is looking for, you know, a particular uh, atmosphere to thrive in? Uh, career coaching, I guess, would be considered executive coaching. Okay. Um, different from other types of coaching kind of methods. Um executive coaching or the way that we go about providing executive coaching um, certified as such to be able to provide that service as well. It's just very, a, a very uh, important thing to say because there are a lot of executive coaches that are self-proclaimed uh, but not certified. And so our approach really is to help guide the person or the client um, in the ways of which they already know the answers, but they may be in their own way of which being able to pursue them, right? That may prevent them from pursuing them. So what Shamika is masterful at doing is really kind of listening or active listening in the sense that she's listening and then playing back to you what it is that you've been saying. Got and it. when you add all of those things up, it really kind of illuminates a path forward. And then from there, it's about empowering the individual to know that they can move in a way that they may not have known that they could before that they may have been impaired or feeling like they were impaired um, in a way that they, that wasn't allowing them to achieve goals that they may have set for themselves prior got to experience. Got it, got it. Okay, that certainly makes sense. And thank you so much for breaking that down. And for the people listening, please make sure that you actually go back and listen to that episode. We've had uh, Shamika on an earlier uh, season of the podcast where we were just getting our feet wet. So shout out to Shamika for supporting us there. Uh, we've certainly uh, come a long way, such as uh, the organization with so many uh, and the company with so many of the amazing things that you're doing. Um, so you've been in the industry for more than a decade, mm. right? 14, 15 years. 14, 15 years. Out of those 14 and 15 years, if you had to combine your vacation days and put a year and a number on that, how many years would you say out of the 14 you've been on vacation? Um, let's see, I left the business formally in 2016. I've been on vacation since. <laughs> okay, there we go. Okay. There's that. There's that answer. Um, <laughs> that uh, answer yes. No, seriously. Uh, I think I was sharing this with you. Do like, you know, people joke and say, "Oh, Julius works for the CIA." We don't. We we don't know how he makes his money. We don't know what he's doing. When he pops up, he pops up. Everybody's happy to see him. And some people may not be, but for the most part, I just kind of stay out of the limelight. And I think I did that not just because, you know, as I said before, I realized that the the industry that I was applying my talents to weren't in alignment with who it was and, and what it was that I was growing to be. Mm. Um, but I just realized that, you know, I, 
I separated the talent and the love for the skill set away from the industry that I was applying it to and just decided to do it on my own. And to that point, uh, being an entrepreneur, which is the way that I started in this business, um, every day has felt like a vacation because it allows me to do what I love, yeah. but doesn't doesn't attach me in ways that, you know, most people refer to as golden handcuffs. Um, and I've since thrived as opposed to just surviving in a business that eats its own. So yeah, I love that. vacation since. Nice. I love that. Listen, we'll live it up. And also too, goading handcuffs, that will always be so triggering for me. And you're right. People do use that terminology. Um, and I actually happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And it was used to me because it was a white man that said it on top of that at a tech company. And I said, you never want to mention handcuffs to a brother. Um, and so they got that two weeks notice that next day. So oh. let's actually, oh yeah, people know I'm not shy of quitting. That that happens very, very quickly because I'm the same way. I think that's why I wanted to have you on the show. I admire the way that you move because you really are putting yourself first, you know, and your family, I'm sure in so yeah. many cases, but um, we don't talk enough about that, you know, putting yourself first and, and also stepping out on faith. So I appreciate you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So this is called a dose of black joy and caffeine. And well, I say caffeine because I'm a little extra and all over the place at times, but the guests are the joy. And something that brings me so much joy is music. If you happen to be stranded on top of Mars, question of the season, and you could only take the discography of three black music artists, which three oh. black music artists would you take? Wow. First off, you're speaking my language because music is at the heart of everything for me. Okay. Um, two, I don't like this question. Because, <laughs> because <laughs> it's hard. It is tough. I can't choose just, yo, that's that's tough. You get, you get three. Um, now listen, you get the whole crate. Imagine that. You know, you got the whole crate. So dig deep, you know. It's oh uh, man. Um, if I'm just going off the top and you said black, but you know, I'm across a diaspora and outside of it. So sure, yeah, for sure. Um, but I would say, bro. Wow. Um, I got to put my boy Frank Ocean in there. Um, nice. So Frank Ocean is in there. Um, I'm going to also say anything produced by Jay Dilla. Okay, we can take that. That's uh, a as a producer. So that helps me get some diversity of sound. <laughs> For or sure. Um, but yeah, Jay Dilla as a producer for sure. Just his mind, his production quality, the whole nine. Um, and I'm a Southern boy, man. So you know, I you know, Otis. I'm going with Otis. Otis Redding. Like he sounds like Georgia to me. He mm -hmm. sounds like the South. He sounds like the parts of the dirt roads and the clay fields that I grew up around so when i hear his voice it just takes me back to the south so yeah frank ocean uh what i say uh jay dilla and otis redding those would be the three that's solid i think that that though that that should that should get you through it those are some solid crates so yeah we'll definitely take that in even frank ocean still after the coachella performance are we i'm still rocking with yeah. him i want to i, I want <laughs> yeah, yeah, to put you know i want I, I thought about putting uh 
I thought about putting Aretha in there. I thought about putting Lauren Hill just to add a queen to that okay. to that list. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna rock. I'm gonna rock with my boys on this one. All right, cool. We'll we'll add them as honorable mention. Um, yeah, definitely. Listen, it is it is good to see your face on this podcast. Trust me, I, I think so many other people are gonna be excited to to listen to this episode and to also you know see your face and hear what you've been up to. Um, but I, I want to know, you know, now, you know, with the, with the, um, with the group and the organization that you're building and the processes and procedures, do you feel like you're still building and creating out of frustration or is there a new emotion that you have now tapped into? Because it feels like, as you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of frustration. Um, I think a lot of frustration, particularly during, uh, you know, 2020 with so many individuals, right. And with confusion with frustration normally comes, um, I think either protest for some or action. You, yeah. I would say action protests, they kind of go neck and neck, but now what emotion, um, do you kind of feel like now is kind of, you know, leading uh, the charge with so many of the efforts that you continue to build on? Um, so to be clear, I left in frustration. I've since been walking on faith. So I would say faith is probably that answer. Another F word. <laughs> um, but yeah, faith. That's why every day has felt like a vacation since. Yeah. Um, and every initiative that I'm in the process of building and working toward will continue to feel like a vacation. Um, I do understand where many may pivot out of frustration. Um, but as somebody who studies wellness and studies the impact of stress, anxiety, and internalizing all of those things, um, I alchemize that into things that are more positive, mm -hmm. uh, cause that's a negative energy and a negative emotion. And I don't want no parts of it. So, um, and I didn't leave to then carry the energy of that with me. Yeah. Uh, so to that point, I would say faith. I love that. And, you know, I, I kind of also feel like sometimes you just can't win for, for losing, you know, but I, I love that you're mindful of, okay, well, this is negative. This is what I don't want to carry with myself in order to continue to build and grow. If it, if it adds any color, some people call me toxic positivity, which I'm trying to now work. It's a thing. I listen, it is a thing. I, I try to I try to deal with it right because I also don't want if it I, I don't want to be associated with something toxic but it's a balance but I think um you know it's just because we are dealing with so much and I have identified when things are negative that I'm like okay well I want to be positive you know I want to be happy about it so yeah I think tapping into emotions is important I would also say too another f word that caused me to leave is fatherhood um my daughter who just turned 19 yesterday I uh, know, believe it or not, this young face has a 19-year-old daughter. She's in college, beautiful um, and and thriving. Um, that a lot of people didn't know that I was a single father during my time in the business formally. Um, but that was another reason why I ended up leaving family, fatherhood and faith, I would say. Yeah. Is, was it because of, um, you know, let me know if I'm going too deep or too personal, but was it because of what you were observing around you know, within the industry with other families uh, that were existing, whether those families were failing or maybe facing issues at home that kind of moved you to prioritize that? Um, I would just say that I I became disenchanted um, with some of the beliefs that were sold um, in my time in the business 
and leading up to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I also realized that just for me personally, um, you know, a lot of the, the goals that I was trying to achieve were in a system that didn't want me to achieve it. <laughs> so why would I continue to provide my talent and resources, resource being the most important and most precious is time, which you can't get back. Why would I continue to allocate and dedicate my time in a way that's not serving a, the community that I belong to and the communities of which I want to serve. So um, yeah, it was really more about how do I want to apply my time? Yeah, I love that. You know, the one thing that I love about yourself, as well as Shamika, trust me, I told Shamika offline, I was like, listen, I'm, I cannot get into all the, the some of the medical terminologies here, because I simply cannot pronounce them if I'm being 100. <laughs> but is that you all have put in the work, and the education is there. And it's also and you also have so much of the research that is there too, which is like, that is what I love. And I really do admire. And I say that because we do live in a society to where, you know, um, respectfully, mental health and anxiety, and there's a lot of terminologies that I think are being used widespread. You also have a lot of brands too that are creating campaigns and there's, you know, there's almost this fluffiness nature to it. Yeah. What would be your advice to a company and or even an individual that is trying to navigate obtaining the right information when it comes to, um, you know, dealing with a lot of things um, from a from a wellness standpoint? Uh, I mean, that's, that <laughs> is a very loaded question. Because um, there's and to give you an example, for instance, you know, yeah. there are listeners that may say, uh, TikTok is my therapist, but also at the same time, a lot of the information that they may be getting on TikTok could be coming from a brand that's just trying to do something for National Wellness Day. I, and the reason why I'm posing the question to you is because I know that you know enough about marketing and brand marketing to where yes. sometimes I think it's it's um it's a little unbalanced in terms of what's actually working and what's realistic. Yeah. Uh so. One of the entities under the diversity group uh, is exclusively focused on providing equitable access to health and wellness, mental health and wellness. Mm -hmm. uh, and I say equitable because our approach is doing so starting with those communities that, mo that are most disproportionately impacted. Uh, and so sad to say, it's the community of which I belong and identify as, uh, which are communities of color. Yeah. Uh, second to that are, you know, the elderly community. So that's pretty much where the area, our area of focus is. Um, and so to that point, we built a network of um, different wellness practitioners, right? Um, therapists, Reiki healers, you know, massage therapists, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, I'm giving you a longer version of this answer no this is great though yeah the network of therapists that are within our organization what you're asking me right now is literally one of the most frustrating topics for them mm. you'll have individuals who historically have felt the stigma of going to and partaking in things like therapy and because that stigma is still attached be it from a communal standpoint or from a more kind of 
um, personal standpoint in terms of like their family may not be in support of people who go to therapy or whatever, even though it's changed, you know, light years from what it used to be. Um, resorting to something like social media as a way of which to get your wellness kind of treatment plan or fix um, is not the route, the, the route you should go. Um, There's the answer. Even when you work with a therapist one-on-one -on -one in a more traditional sense, that therapist might not be a good fit for you. Yeah. Um, and so therapy is not the silver bullet to address the problem, but I can assure you that partaking in things like social media or TikTok therapy is not going to address that issue either. So um, the shorter answer to my question or to your question is um, seek therapy if you can. Everybody should have a therapist. Um, I understand and can 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 get behind the understanding that it may be a, a stigma attached to it that may not be favorable for you. Uh, but as somebody who is who has a therapist and as someone who empowers and, and tries to enlist people to find therapists, um, I would say to go about trying trying it in a more traditional sense and know that even when you find a therapist in a more traditional sense, you can find and look until you find somebody that fits for you, but but don't resort to social media or TikTok therapy as a way of which to 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 address that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. And I, I think that sometimes that needs to be said because it is very, very unrealistic. Um, and um you are highly educated and have been studying it long enough that it coming out of your mouth, well, versus mine, I think um, hopefully people will act on it and really be able to understand just, you know, truly how it is important that you don't look to, um, I think, things that are fluffy or, you know, meaningless, but this is a very serious matter, uh, especially within uh, this industry, uh, which you've been very close to. Yeah. We call this a dose of Black joy and caffeine. If you had to give a dose of anything to the culture and for the culture, what would you like to give the culture a dose of that you feel like the culture may be lacking? Man, where do you get these questions from, a dude? Like, you're <laughs> <laughs> me. What would I like to give the culture a dose of? Um, hmm. Self-awareness, emotional accountability and responsibility is extremely important, um, especially in this day and age of <laughs> artificial everything, including intelligence. Um, it's something that I have grown to value more. Um, I myself don't even use social media. I'm just there as a, as kind of like a, 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 a prop. Because <laughs> I know that that's where people live nowadays, um, and probably more so, they live in the virtual world than they do in the in the real world. Um, and so that piece there to me is has become I don't want to say a point of sadness, but um, it's something that I talk to I talk a lot about, especially with the younger generation. To your point of like mentoring, I still still do that it's in me yeah. um, but just to have an appreciation for self um to be willing to do the work and go on the journey of better understanding who you are 
um, separate of these systems that are essentially kind of telling you and programming you to believe what someone else's thoughts are, someone else's beliefs are. Um, and so the beauty of social media is that we are hyper-connected and we have access to all this information. Mm -hmm. um, but the kind of decision that has to be made is how do you want to use that? Yeah. Uh, use it to your advantage or do you want to use it to your detriment? Um, and oftentimes I find individuals use it to their detriment. So um, I would say leverage access to these technologies and these kind of platforms as a way to to learn more about yourself um, and become a, more aware of who you are and what your surroundings are. Um, that that would be my dose. Yeah, I don't even I answered your question, but yeah, brother. I, it is absolutely it did. It's a dose of self awareness, and I think that everyone can have it. Um, I mean, I know that we said self, and we're thinking about self awareness from. Um, an individual standpoint, but I even think that it's self-awareness from a brand or an organization standpoint. You know, um, speaking of that, I think sometimes that's where diversity, equity, and inclusion really comes into play because some brands or and organizations have no idea. My question to you is, is that something that your group does to where ultimately you go in there to even help organizations uh, understand where they have a problem? Because some, you know, listeners and also brands, organizations, you know, um, are listening, kind of saying, oh, well, we're doing great. We're doing great. You know, they may even have the numbers, but it just feels good. I hate that when people say it just feels good. So is that something else that you uh, help them with? Yeah, I would say, um, so going back to the structure of the company, um diversity group kind of sitting at the top mm. um that part of our company really focuses on um aggregating qualitative and quantitative data into mm. insights that are actionable mm. uh and then allow that to influence the customized KPIs that we can give them as a way to be able to measure success Nice. So zooming out of that, you have a lot of organizations that will pursue diversity, equity, and inclusion from that of a philanthropic place because they don't think about it as a business imperative. They more so think about it from more like a, a philanthropic initiative, almost like a corporate social responsibility or corporate social, mm -hmm. uh, corporate social initiative. And it's not that. <laughs> um, and so a lot of the stuff that we end up doing at the adversity group level is really kind of showing them the data points that will make it more of a business imperative, but then also empowering the people function within most organizations, be it HR, talent, diversity, equity, inclusion, whatever that may be, HR generalists, to have the, the language and the vernacular to be able to take what are oftentimes empathy-based strategies into something that's more of a business imperative that the other members of the C-suite can understand and activate against. Mm -hmm. um, to that point, most organizations, I would say, approach their pursuit of DEI from that of a like interpersonal place or a philanthropic place. And they forget about all the other elements of it, right? Institutionally, how is the organization not 
equitable, right? From their pol their policies, their programs, whatever that may be. Um, and how can we go about addressing that? From their individual um, kind of those individuals who come into the organization, um, how is that an inequitable experience, right? From when you look at the employee experience from onboarding all the way to succession or separation, like where are the points of which individuals end up becoming disenchanted where the inequities lie as it relates to things like performance evaluation um, or even just the the notion of, you know, being able to be promoted, recognized, yeah. Uh, yeah. Le learning and development, all of those other different things. Um, we go about helping unpack some of the inequities that exist underneath the surface mm -hmm. as opposed to just partnering with organizations that just want to do ERGs and Heritage Month events yeah, yeah. Uh, or surface level know, things. Are, yeah, very surface level things. Um, and we we encourage them to have the harder conversations um, that oftentimes are going to impact how they show up, right? Their presence, um, both in and outside of the workplace, uh, which essentially is going to impact their profitability. Um, and so being able to connect the dots from people to profit is kind of where we exist as an organization and proud to do so um, because oftentimes you will have a lot of practitioners in this space mm -hmm. or in the people space, be it HR or talent or whatever that may be, that can't translate what they do to what the business needs to then produce the product that the business is trying to sell to yeah. the people uh, as consumers. So. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, I think um, what I love about what you said is I feel like it's the perfect mix between empathy as well as uh, being very data driven, which yeah. is something that I don't think that AI uh, can do. Um, but with that being said, we we know that AI is a very hot topic. Um, what are your general thoughts within how AI potentially plays a role now, you know, through the general landscape of uh practitioners, HR, diversity, equity, and inclusion of how that how AI tools are being used. Do you have any thoughts around that? Yeah, uh, it's funny because we were actually talking about this at length this week, Shamika and I have. Um, and so- Oh, wait, wait. We love a drop on the podcast. What's happening? Uh, what, what I can't, I can't. Oh, I will say, man. I will say that, um, you know, there is, there is a lot of conversation to your point around artificial intelligence. How will it be used? Yeah. Uh, both in corporate spaces and in culture overall. Um, but I will say this, artificial intelligence doesn't exist without people. Um, and so people overall, those who are programming these these machines that, that run on artificial intelligence um, or those who will leverage artificial intelligence in whatever way they decide, um, all of these things are a product of people, right? And so emotional intelligence is always going to be king compared to artificial intelligence um and so we encourage individuals that we work with from a coaching standpoint and organizations that are essentially run by a bunch of human beings right because they're not run by by bots as of yet yeah. um you know essentially we all need to become more emotionally intelligent and that goes back to the point of which i was saying before in terms of self-awareness uh, because it's one thing to you know, have an organization and an individual within the organization thrive because of their skill set, right? Their IQ as it relates to the reason why they were hired, right? The role of which they apply their skill and their talent to 
achieve. But if you're going to ascend into roles of like management or ascend into a leadership position, be it on the C-suite or uh, just the level below, uh, that does require some level of emotional intelligence to be able to lead people and not just any group of people, but a diverse group of people, because we are all a one of one. Uh, and so even if you have a team of all the same gender, all the same race, all the same ethnicity, it doesn't matter. Uh, you still have to lean into this notion of inclusion, equity, um, to be able to lead a group of individuals to achieve a goal and uh, achieve a vision. So uh, emotional intelligence at the end of the day <laughs> is extremely important. Um, and artificial intelligence can just be leveraged as a tool of which to to maybe be more efficient. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I was having, um, I mean, we, we've been talking about it all season, but I think that that's the one thing is efficiency with AI. I think if you go in with that mindset, then you'll be able to utilize it in a way that I think is authentic, um, you know, that doesn't dehumanize, um, you know, anything else that you're doing within business. So I love that you mentioned that. So for the people listening at home, I know that you mentioned that, you know, you are a bit behind the scenes and when you pop out, trust me, we love a rare sighting. Um, I hope to see you more. I'll ask you offline where you base these days. <laughs> Just in case I'm around and about, no worries. But for the people listening at home, what's the best way that they can learn more and also stay in contact with you? Um... Yeah, so I'm I'm not a social media person, so I'm not gonna be here dropping Instagram and Facebooks okay. um on here. But uh I can say LinkedIn. Um that's probably one of the only forms of social media that I probably check okay. um and use. Um other than that, I would say that they can email me. Okay. Uh company email, be it Julius, J-U-L-I-U-S, as in Julius Dunn at the adversity so julius at diversitygroup.com. Okay, we love that. So final question before you get out of here, what are you the most proud of? Um, my life overall, very proud of the things I've been able to achieve, um, you know, everything. And more specifically, I would say even the things, you know, in context to this conversation, the things I've been able to to achieve in the business. Um, I'm not one to tout and, you know, put my stake in the ground of I did this and I did that. But, you know, just calling a spade a spade and and looking at what it is, um, the track record of things that I've either been in the room to help build or built um, exclusively, I'm, I'm extremely proud of. So a lot of the things that I was telling you before when I started in the business in 20 in 2008 uh, and those initiatives with the one club and have really kind of helping set the foundation for everything that they're doing from a diversity standpoint, um, that partnership kind of was a part of that um, and in their journey as it relates to it. And, and I'm extremely proud of everything that they as an organization have been able to do and have been continuing to do. Um, you know, everything that we, we did and I did with the four A's in terms of the schools and those schools are still operating uh, today. Um, you know, other things that I've been able to do when I was at DDB for the short period of time in which I was there. But most importantly, I would say all of those learning experiences is what led me to be able to do the thing that I do now. Um, and the clients that I've been able to serve and the communities of which I've been able to help, um, I have to credit my time in the advertising industry, 
um, as kind of the master's degree, the PhD, if you will, yeah. um, that helped me get from point A to point B um, and be able to operate behind the scenes, but really still make impact um, as if I was still in front of the scene. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, we appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I didn't know, but you know, I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I'm glad that we made it happen because we'll certainly need a part two. But um, yeah, you know, like I said, so much of the podcast is, I think, really being able to give individuals their flowers. And also, too, like I said, I mean, we have people, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed, as you can say, that are just entering that I think that, you know, if anything... Um, I could I could try to coin or be somewhat of a cultural historian just to kind of really capture all the stories because it all plays a role. Um, that's what I hope that I'm doing. And you're so much a part of um, a lot of people's stories. So we appreciate you, man. Hey, thank you, man. And also, man, flowers to you and your most recent nomination. Um, I appreciate that. You know, you're doing it. People are recognizing you, your peers, colleagues. Uh, and friends and family so you know from one person that has loved your journey and loved your story to um to many others I'm sure they're probably listening to this podcast and we'll see it um you know my my blessings and, and my support and my love and and appreciation for you as well brother because if it wasn't for this this platform and it wasn't for people like you continuing to push to to, to capture these stories these stories wouldn't be told so kudos to you I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And thank you all. I hate to be ending the episode, but listening to another episode of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. As always, stay safe, drink a ton of water, and remember that you deserve A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. Until next time, I'm Adu.